Hi everyone, welcome back for another episode of EGOs. It's really nice to have you here. My name is Rochelle Kernan and today I have a very special guest. I will be talking with a geologist. His name is Lindsey Ross. He works as an explorationist in the oil and gas and the mineral industry for uh, his own company that he's president of, Cherryville Partners uh, LLC. And thank you, Lindsay, so much for being here. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Michelle. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm just really excited to talk to you about your career path and the fact that you've been able to find a niche floating in between from oil and gas and mineral exploration. I, I find it absolutely fascinating. So I'm really excited to hear about um, your story. So to begin today, uh, would you mind telling us a little bit more about where you're from, where you grew up, and maybe something or maybe two things that really influenced you while you were growing up? Yeah, sure. I, I grew up in, in Queensland in Australia. And I grew up on a banana farm. It started out as a dairy. My grandfather got it before the war, and, and then he turned it into a banana farm. And, uh, you know, it's... It was a practical upbringing on a farm. Everything has to work. If it doesn't work, then you know you don't repeat it. Right? So I sort of started out with that. But also farming's really quite disciplined. You've got to, you know, really stick with it day in day out. It's a grind. And I, I, I don't know whether that I, I wanted to go and do something a little bit more adventurous in so far as being a, a geologist, because I was. I had an adventurous streak to me, or was I not disciplined enough to be able to be a farmer? I mean, I, I think that my grandfather, who was a pretty major figure in my life, would probably say a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I got into the idea of um, uh, traveling, you know, getting getting away from the farm and getting away from home, because I didn't like home, mm -hmm. um, but it was hard work and I, I didn't really want to see myself having to carry bananas up and down the hill on my shoulder. Um, and, you know, end up for crook neck and bung knees at 40, you know. So, you mm -hmm. know, I thought I'm going to do something a little bit more that involves study rather than born. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, did, would you say that, um, is there something that influenced you to pursue a career as a geologist? Or is that something that you just randomly fell into when you went to the university? Like, how did you find geology? Yeah, um, I suppose a lot of geologists say it, it found them. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I went to a summer school um, at, at this university that I, I liked. And I, I did okay at school, so I could sort of pick and choose what I wanted to do, and geology was amongst them. Um, I sort of thought about journalism for a while, but I thought, mm, I'm not sure that's going to go anywhere. So I thought geology is more about telling the story of the rocks. And that I, I really disliked the idea of being, you know, in a campus with all these academics who are, who are, you know, training you in this field for you to go out and be, you know, unleashed upon the world. And I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to be a geologist. But I, I, I'd always collected rocks mm -hmm. and minerals as a kid. And, you know, we went from wherever we'd go for a drive, if there was a road cutting, um, I'd say, come on, let's stop, let's have a look. <laughs> and, you know, my grown and everything, but she sort of got into it too. And, and I got a rock collection. And then I started to figure out that there's actually a bit of a, uh, there's quite a good career in this, but I didn't understand the cyclical nature. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the ups and the downs. Mm -hmm. But hey, when you're young, like, what was I, I think I was 17 when I went to university, um, you, 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 you don't really think about things like no. stability. You know? 
but um, we've got all the head on. You sort of go, mm, okay, there's been some ups and downs, and, and that's with the oil and gas and the minerals. I tried to iron out the cyclicity um, by sort of realising that there was a counter-cyclicity between the, the energy industry and the, and the minerals. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that, that came about partly through planning, but also, like anything, you know, a bit of luck, being at the right place at the right time with the right people. That's, that's how that sort of happened. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So where did you end up going to school um, and what are your degrees? And um, could you tell us a story about your career path? So how did you kind of flow in between the oil and gas and the mining sector? Sure. I, I went to a school that I thought was really good mm-hmm. um, at the time. It was called the Darling Downs Institute of Advanced mm-hmm. Education. It's Toowoomba. It's up west of where I live. Sure. And it's subsequently, you know, turned into University of Southern Queensland. And it, I was told, and from what I saw there, the, the, the lecturers were very practical, very much about finding ore, you know. It's very much a hard rock degree. So I did a bachelor's degree in science, majoring in geology. I did um, marketing major as well, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. I've found that's pretty useful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when it started out with <coughs> going into a job, I went into... Uh, I was working in northwest Queensland as a graduate for a company called Mount Isa Mines. And uh, I'd you know, done open cart and underground and, and I was doing a development job in this gold mine and uh, to be a gold mine. And there was a job going in the oil and gas side of things. And the then executive general manager, a fellow called Don Zimmerman, turned up and interviewed me and said, you know, can you explain the sedimentary facies concept to me? <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, I did a hard rock to go, Don, but I can explain the metamorphic one reasonably well. And then we got talking and talking and talking. And then he said, all right, you're in. And I was the first geo to join MIM Petroleum uh, on staff, I think, yeah. Cool. And by the end of the month, I was up in Papua New Guinea um, doing helicopter remote um, field mapping in the, on the cast limestone in Papua New Guinea. And so I had fundamental training in hard rock and then I was moving into soft rock. And so I tried to leverage off uh, some common things that were occurring in what I could do in hard rock and what I could do in soft rock. So structural analysis was a, a logical one to take across because obviously you're looking at ductile and penetrative strain in, in hard rock, but in soft rock, it's more brittle. You know, you're balancing sections and stuff and interpreting seismic. So I used that platform to be able to be useful to the company in its oil arm. Mm but surrounded by really good mentors and a lot of good training that they put me through. Um, down at the National Centre in Adelaide, I went down through there, did a lot of courses there. And uh, uh, through osmosis, good mentors and a willingness to learn, um, and not always <laughs> learn very well, you're young, uh, and sometimes really disappoint your mentors, I suppose, but other times you know, they get the spark out of seeing you do something that they've instructed you to do and do it well. So um, I did that for a few years. And then I wanted a bit more of a challenge. So I thought, right, I'm going to go back into minerals. So I went uh, to West Africa and mm-hmm. went looking for gold over there, which was, again, fun. And, and then I uh, did that for a few years and some oil jobs. And then I came back to Brisbane and um, got into uh, oil and gas full time on, on a staff job. Mm-hmm. And I stuck there for 12 years, 12 years in the one company, which was That's good. a long time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean... The, the, the play between oil and gas and minerals, it's a sort of, like, I, I wanted to take advantage of always being employed through the, uh, the the ups and downs of the markets. 
because at the end of the day, I mean, I really like geology. Mm-hmm. And, and if I, as long as you can stay in the game. And I like geologists. I like working with these sort of collegiate people who are wide-ranging problem solvers. Who, who, they can really work in a team. Yeah. And to me, that's one of the benefits mm-hmm. of having management that allow you to cooperate as teams. They don't make you fire everything through them. You can you can work horizontally with each other, you know, mm-hmm. in your office with your ideas. And some of the things you can come up with when you've got a team of people who are prepared to share and to... Um, you know, to spiral these ideas. You know, I've seen th- and been involved in projects and discoveries where there is no way you could attribute it to one person. You know, it's the entire machine that has to be attributed to. So the journey to discovery has also been something that's that's a very exciting thing to be involved in. But, you know, with, with oil and gas, do you, do, you, do, you, do you celebrate on the logs or do you celebrate on the test? I mean, that's always the, you know, celebrate both. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about maybe something that you really, really enjoy about exploration in oil and gas, and then maybe something you really, really enjoy about exploration in the mineral industry? Yeah, certainly a good question, thanks. Um, oil and gas exploration, I like it because it's so high tech. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ability to work with, you know, we're not, we're not drilling surface anticlines in many parts of the world these days. and There's, there's no surface expression, obviously, offshore, but onshore, um, less and less so. So you're working with such integrated data sets um, and so many people are so specialised in their fields that it's hard to believe that you're drilling for a target that's three or four kilometres below the surface. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, it's the aspect of it is that with all of this technology, are you really discovering it or is it just being revealed to you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yep. it always, it's been there for however many million years and your efforts with the team, um, it's almost like a revelation that you, you find this thing which has always been there. So, you know, that's that's interesting. But the high-tech side, definitely, of a long time. And the fact that you can, there's so much money to be made with, yeah. a, with a, a good hydrocarbon discovery that you can throw a lot of money at it and with a lot of risk, of course, but the commensurate reward. So, you you really do. I'm just imagine you know, like when you get to dream up what sort of logging suite tools you want to put together. It's like, well, what do we want out of these rocks? It's, <laughs> it's like being hid in a candy store, right? It is. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. But on the minerals side, I like it because it's fairly practical. Like, you know, I, I still like attending minerals conferences because um, a lot of the junior explorers, which are absolutely essential to the industry because they are innovative. And they're out there actually doing it. They're not sitting back in the head office hypothesizing, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I do. But they're, they're out there, but they're still using surface geochemistry, you know, rock chip samples, soil samples, stream sediments, uh, integrate a bit of grav mag uh, in the upstream exploration component. But then they go and drill holes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that to me is that there's new, uh, new rock that's never been seen by a human before coming out of the ground, and you've got to try to interpret what it means. And it's a lot more than just looking at the the assays. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the alteration products. It's you know, if you're looking for a specific sort of deposit, it's it's a real detective game. Yeah. Because you can move your rigs around like pieces on a ball, in order to try to hone in. Because you know, deposit could be economic at only a few meters wide at a high grade. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have your head screwed on, you can miss it. Yeah. So you know, so the. It's that it's the different scales, it's the different approaches, and I just like working between the two. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I find I think it's absolutely fascinating. So within your field or maybe thinking a little bit beyond your field, do you foresee any new uh, trends or developments in the next year, say coming out of the pandemic and then maybe in five years or 10 years? Yeah, um, it's interesting to put it in the context of a pandemic, which has been a disruptive event, but also to think about the question perhaps, you know, beyond that or without mm-hmm. that, I think the pandemic's changed a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and and I, I honestly, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't know where to begin and end with that, but with my own personal experiences, the virtue, uh, the fact that we're able to work virtually, yeah. um, um, you know, and to interact with people across continents that previously we had the opportunity to, but everybody was so busy in their own day with their own local teams that you didn't really reach out as far as we had. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the um, accepted into our routine now, hopefully will stick with us because, you know, I'm, I'm big on collaboration, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think that, I think this is really good. It expands people's horizons. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond COVID, I suppose, uh, what I'd suggest is that I think with, in the, in the space of critical minerals, at least, or strategic minerals, you know, we're really looking at a, a very large demand. Mm-hmm. And I am concerned that, the demand can be met without putting commodity prices very, very high. Um, but I think that there might be a way around this, which is some different ways of producing. I mean, I mean, the mining industry does a great job of, of you know, looking after its ESG and, um, you, know, you know, definitely trying to manage environmental matters. No, no, no criticism there. But I think that we need to ensure that renewable energy and strategic and critical minerals are produced ethically and sustainably. And so by all means, mine it, of course. But I think a trend that could be coming is we're going to look at different methods of production and extraction. Mm. And that's where I sort of think these ideas of applying tensile uh, or, you know, uh, or, or hydro shearing uh, to fracking to produce minerals from deposits that are deep or uneconomic from a open cut or an underground perspective. And then you look at all the cover sequences that we have around the world, but in my backyard here in Australia, where you've got younger sequences and transported materials over the top, you know, hundreds of metres, even thicker, over the top of Precambrian basements, which have potentially got mineralisation in them, which were at its surface. Someone would have stubbed their toe one of a century ago, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's some very good deposits that are sitting in, in around these, these terrains. And, and I think that with new technology, we might be able to unlock that resource potential. And so that's why I like the idea of the oil and gas tech exploration and production coming together with the miners to, to do that. It yeah. could help. I, I think that's a trend that we could look at. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I actually just noticed that the last week or two that it seems like there's this export of technology knowledge out of the oil and gas industry into the mining sector. So it'll be really interesting to see sort of what breakthroughs they're going to come up with by using that technology so yeah it's stay tuned i guess <laughs> yeah i hope so because it's 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 partly because there's not as many jobs in the oil and gas business mm-hmm. these days uh particularly for upstream because you know the, the price isn't that high yeah and uh you know so i think it's it's going to be a natural or organic move for this cross-pollination as it were of ideas between 
at the technical level as people with oil and gas experience move into into hard rock. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that work in reverse, obviously, going from hard rock into oil and gas because I did it myself. So it's certainly possible. And in fact, it's it's it, I, th- I think it's worth having a go at it. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of the best things in your career, particularly when you're younger, is experiment. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid to take risks. All right, believe it or not, the mortgage will get paid. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm a I'm a believer that things often work out for the best, um, and, and the most you know, the, the chaos of the really terrible things usually don't happen. Uh, they're only they're only fear. I mean, the reality is, get out there, try, do all different things, experiment. You know, you won't regret it when you get older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, would you say that you are currently in your dream job or dream role, or has that? sort of evolved and changed over time? Or can you look back and say, oh, there's that one job that you just, like, absolutely loved? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I I think it's it's bittersweet. I mean, you, 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 I'm a generalist. Yeah. And, and, and so, therefore, I, I, I always enjoyed doing lots of different things. And, and because you're doing lots of different things, I, I don't know if it could ever be a dream job. Mm-hmm. I mean... There's, I had one boss once who said to me, look, son, 70% of your waking day, you're going to be doing things you don't like. Get used to it. I thought, oh, harsh, but true. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, a dream job. Mm, I'm working on that. I think I'll find it one day. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I know it's a harsh reality. I remember when I was finishing my master's, I was like, oh, yay. Like, you know, everything's going to be so easy. I get this job and, you know, oh, my gosh. And then I got the job and I was like, this is hard. Like, I was not expecting this at all. Like, this is work. It, they call it work for a reason. That's right. <laughs> That's funny. So do you have any advice for someone who is currently building their dream? Well, I think you already, you actually already said that. So just to take risks, don't, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Can you um, say maybe any other advice or anything else you recommend for people to pursue or not worry about things like that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a 15, nearly 60-year-old year old son, and, and and it's funny to watch him because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they don't really listen to you, you know? And, and, and I, I can't criticise somebody else without being as honest as I can be about myself. And, and I think when I was younger, I probably should have listened to some of my mentors a little bit more intently. Yeah. Um, but as they say, you, you can't put an old head on young shoulders. But... Um, <laughs> And, and and I think maybe that's a good thing. It is. It, 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 it's it's eat your greens and listen to your parents. You know, maybe not that harsh, but listen <laughs> listen to the people around you who made the mistakes you make, and, and maybe sometimes trying to learn from their mistakes rather than rather than repeating them. Yeah, isn't bad because I've seen grads. Right, I, one of, part of my job used to be when I was working at that company in Adelaide was called Santos, it's a, yeah. it's an Aussie company. Mm-hmm. And well, you know, I used to look after grads a fair bit there, and then when I went to work with. Uh, Repsol and, and Origin Energy. I used to look after grads again there, to some extent. And you know, one of the most funniest things was grads come out thinking they know everything. Like you know how you do your, your tests on, you do your competency rankings, and mm-hmm. you've got these guys and people with 20, 30 years experience, so, and they're sort of marking themselves. Like, I'm sort of competent at 3D seismic interpretation, but you do get to see some grads that I know all of them. I know everything. You know, it's box to box, all ticked all the way down, and sort of go. I don't want to disappoint you, but maybe you, you don't know that much. And that's what you're here for, to learn. Because, you know, I think when you're a grad, 
I love the graduate rotation programs mm-hmm. um, where you bring them in and then you put them through three years of moving them around. And, and that's great because it expands their horizons and it sort of helps them understand that they've got a lot to learn and a lot of good people around you to learn from. And a bit of humility in that regard mm-hmm. is pretty useful, you know. So, oh. yeah, that, that might help. Oh, I totally agree. I uh, Another thing I, I've experienced too, not so much now, but like when I was in my 20s, I my mentors would tell me something and it's not that I didn't like necessarily not believe them but I didn't really understand what they were saying (laughs) and then you have the experience and then you're like afterward you're like that's what they meant so I think it's really important for our mentors out there to like make sure that when you're communicating see if they actually understand what you're saying because I know several times it was like I felt like I I should say yes, so I just said yes, and then I really didn't get it, and then you know whatever happened, and then afterward I was like, oh yeah, that that's what they were saying. I wish I would have known that, <laughs> but that's what they were saying because I just didn't. You know, sometimes you just don't have the capacity to to really get it for whatever reason. So <laughs> well, for valid reasons, because I think we fail sometimes to comprehend when we're younger. Yeah. Um, exactly what we're being told. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's like. I had some great bosses and great mentors like, you know, Bob LaRue and mm-hmm. Bob Hodge and Schroeder, Phil Connard, lots of these guys, and, and they know who they are. And, uh, you know, they still rib me when I see them about the fact that, I you know, you just didn't listen. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I was listening, but I wasn't comprehending. And that's the trick is, you know, when someone's telling you something, it's like, well, what does he or she really mean by that? And what am I supposed to take away from it? Mm-hmm. And that's bad acid test for a mentor-mentee conversation, particularly from the... Yeah, Yeah, it's a good primer. (laughs) So to finish up um, our podcast today, what do you do to maintain your happiness and success? Is there anything that um, you'd like to share with us about that? Sure. Um, I sort of see happiness as a sort of a transitional state, right? It's Mm -hmm. not a sort of permanent state. and, And I think that, you know... Success in whatever terms you describe it, if it's personal to you, your family, your friends, whatever, if, it's, if that's important to you in, in human terms or dollar terms, then you, you, if you can achieve that, even in a, a modest form, then, then that should generate happiness. Mm-hmm. So I think it's sort of like, you know, keep trying, harder you work, lucky you get, feel happy when you, when you get it, but just keep looking for the next target. Mm-hmm. One of the ways I like to do that is getting around like-minded people. Yeah. And... Um, you know, this, these webinars have been great. Um, you know, we've got one coming up in mid-May that we've slated with AAPG mm. on all facets of what is the uh, new energy economy. And everyone's talking about 2050 as a target, right? Mm-hmm. But what, I'm, what we're proposing in this is, okay, where do we have to be by 2025 mm-hmm. in order to, make, to, to be on the track to make that? And we're looking at it from energy policy, uh, sort of uh, geostrategic um, uh, what's holding us back as individuals and companies from making transition and disruption through to how are these energy projects uh, panning out for people in the world and how, how, how equitable are these things? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because outside of the circular economy and outside of, you know, to, to some extent recycling, just how are we going to get these uh, these new commodities for this new energy world? And, 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 and new energy enterprises, and I like participating in that because I think it gives you happiness if you can, if you can participate in a, in some sort of goal which is probably going to be beyond your professional 
career mm-hmm. and perhaps beyond your lifespan, right? But you can contribute to it with people who will be around at that time. And I think the new energy economy is so exciting because the new generation of students and people who want to be geoscientists or engineers are going to grow up in the world that you, me, and uh, all of our like-minded people uh, create. And mm-hmm. so it's a legacy for mm-hmm. That is happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I, I really enjoyed your time, and I, I wish you all the best, and we'll definitely have to do a follow-up podcast at some point. Check in. Well, that'll be lovely. Thank you so much for having, having me. Thanks. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you.